0: Father, I pray right now that as we have sung those glorious truths that Father we would be humbled in your presence the King of Kings the Lord of Lords the one who was the one who is and the one who is to come the one very soon that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Father I pray right now those wouldn't just be words on a screen That would be an anthem of our heart, saying, more of you, less of me. You are worthy, I am not. You are holy, I am not. You are my king, and I am your servant. You are my father, I am your son, I am your daughter. Father, your name is great. May it be lifted high in this place today. Holy Spirit, would you continue to come and move among your people as we open your word that we would eagerly, willingly humble ourselves under its authority and not resist it, not, resi- not resist it in pride as it convicts of sin, that we wouldn't just make excuses, God, but we'd humble ourselves on you. There is, there is redemption on the other side of repentance, Father. There is healing on the other side of repentance. There is strength where we are weak. There is hope when we are hopeless. But we must humble ourselves. I pray that we would be stilled in the presence of the Lord right now. Whatever distractions from this week we're bringing in here, whatever self-agendas we're bringing in, we just cast those at the foot of the cross right now. And you say what you want to say to your people for your glory. Be with my mouth. Guard, guard it from error and say what you want to say that you would receive so much glory in this place. Do a saving, sanctifying, and unifying work in your house today. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord, church. It is wonderful to be back here with you this week. The Frozen Chosen. Come on. Praise the Lord. Love that. All right, open up our Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. The title of this morning's message is this. The testimony of John, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord, exclamation point, prepare the way of the Lord. And for those of you who may be visiting us for the first time, we're going through this series on the Gospel of John, verse by verse, line by line. By the way, if you do not have a Bible, our ushers are coming forward right now and would love to put one in your lap. Just put your hand up nice and high so they can put one there because you're going to want to follow along today. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word at home, take that and keep that as a free gift so you can continue to study God's word on your own. The testimony of John, prepare the way of the Lord. We have just finished the first 18 verses and we're coming out of the prologue. Where John has set the stage of who is Jesus Christ and what was the work of Jesus Christ. Why did the word become flesh? And so he has just finished unpacking a beautiful 18 verses so rich in theology. And I pray that you have been blessed by that. But now we transition The next three weeks, uh, we're going to look at the testimony, the witness of John the Baptist. And it's going to span, these next three sermons span three days in John's life. Three days. And he's going to be testifying or witnessing to three different groups of people. And today's group he's going to be witnessing to are the Pharisees, the priests, And the Levites. Now, recall, some of you remember, when he's talking about John, when John is writing about John, John is not writing about himself, he's writing about John the Baptist. Okay, John, the writer of the gospel, he never refers to himself by his first name. Okay, he's usually referring to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. He's commonly known as the evangelist as well. But every time you hear the word John here, he's talking about John. The Baptist. So, who was John the Baptist? Let's do a little recap so we're all on the same page. You'll see it on the screen. He began his ministry. That's a nice looking dude right there. Yes, just munching on that locust. Yes, you go, John. Here's the thing he began his ministry when he's about 30 years old. Okay? He's about 30 years old. He lived in the wilderness. Okay? He lived in the wilderness. In a place, near a place called Bethany, out near the Jordan River. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. There's a reason for that. He wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt. A real fashionista, if you will. Okay? Camel's hair, leather belt. Here's this. This gets me every time. He ate locusts and wild honey. Matthew 3, 4 talks about this. He's eaten grasshoppers and honey. He's the son of the priest Zechariah. And Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. We'll unpack that in a little bit. Here's a great one. He was the cousin of Jesus Christ. Talk about claim to fame, huh? huh? He was the cousin of Jesus Christ. And if that wasn't enough, look at this. He baptized Jesus. He baptized Jesus. And he was known as the forerunner of Jesus who proclaimed the need for repentance from sin and announced the coming of the Messiah. So he's the cousin of Jesus who baptized Jesus and he's now the forerunner of Jesus who proclaimed the need for repentance from sin and announced the coming of the Messiah. If I could sum up John's ministry, it would be this. God sent John into the world to tell us or to witness about who Jesus Christ was and that we need to make a lifelong decision concerning him. The same decision that the people back then, in John's time, he was declaring the word of the Lord to, is the same decision that you and I need to come to and we are faced with today. It's the same call that we have today. If I could sum up his ministry from a biblical text, it would be this. Luke 1, 17b says this. Why did he come? To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Awesome. Awesome. To make ready For the Lord, to meet the Lord, to be face to face with the Lord, a people prepared. You say, why is this so important that the Holy Spirit would inspire John to write full sections of text about this ministry? Because here's why, loved ones, it's the same ministry that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ have been entrusted with today, to make ready. For the Lord, a people prepared. Why? Because here's the reality. Jesus is coming soon. Do you believe that, loved ones? Jesus is coming soon. You say, I don't believe it. Okay, just turn to Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. And Jesus himself tells us, only he adds this onto the front of it. He says, surely I am coming soon. It's not a matter of maybe if I feel like it. He says, surely, as in that's a promise, you can consider it done. I am coming soon. And did you ever, ever, this hit me again this week. It never fails to rock me out. It's like this. We are now, here we are, October 28th, 2018. We are now the closest in human history we've ever been to the return of Jesus Christ. What does that do for you right there? We are now the closest we've ever been in human history, loved ones, to the return of Jesus Christ, to the return of our King. Do you think about that? Does that impact how you shepherd your family? Does that impact how you pour into your marriage? Does that impact how you witness to your co-workers? It needs to, loved ones. It needs to. We're called to that. Because here's the truth, but here's the truth. Yes, this is right and this is true, but here's the reality. Most of the people in this world are completely unprepared to meet Jesus. I would go so far as to say this. Most of the people you're going to rub shoulders with tomorrow at work are completely unprepared to meet the Savior. Most of the people, you're going to drive home today, you're going to walk in your front door, I say this, most of your neighbors, you look across your yard and you see their homes, you see their kids running in the yard, guess what? Most of them, completely unprepared to meet their Savior. And He's coming. Soon. Most of the classmates, we have a lot of students, and looking forward to seeing the rest of them back next week, but here's the reality. Students, you're going to walk into class on Monday... And the reality is this, most of your classmates are completely unprepared to meet their Savior. What does that do, knowing that? See, God has placed you and I as his witnesses to help people be ready to meet him. So that begs the question, What does it mean to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ? If Acts 1.8 says, Jesus says, And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What what does that mean to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ? Well, here in the text, we see through the testimony of John the Baptist, two critical, and I'm going to say that word again, Two critical, non-negotiable aspects of a faithful witness that he exemplified and should mark the life of every true follower of Christ. Two critical, non-negotiable aspects of being a faithful witness that should mark the life of every true follower of Christ. Ready? Let's read. Let's read verses 19 to 28. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. John chapter 1. Start at verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am... Listen to that. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here was that John's witness, John's testimony was one of radical urgency. Radical urgency. And his statement is this. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. The key statement for this that sums up this section is this. Jesus is coming soon. Key question right here. Am I preparing for him? Jesus is coming soon. Am I preparing for him? Look at verses 19 to 24. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Let's get some context here, loved ones. This is about 26, 27 AD. Okay, 26, 27 AD. Jesus is just about 30 years old. John the Baptist, just about 30 years old. And here, this is a few months after Jesus' baptism. John's already baptized Jesus at this point. Okay, This is a few months after that. And so we're going to spend some time in this first section unpacking and setting the stage for the rest of the three testimonies John's going to give. So we're going to hang on this first point for a little bit because of it. A few months after the baptism. And where is this taking place? Well, we see in verse 28, it's across the Jordan River at a town called Bethany. Notice that? These things took place in Bethany across. That is the wilderness. John makes a point to emphasize that. Why? Because there's two Bethanies. It's not the Bethany of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus near Jerusalem. This is the Bethany across the Jordan in the wilderness. It's specifically commented on. And in this Bethany is about a mile and a half from Jerusalem towards the Jordan River. You see it on the screen right here. See, there's Jerusalem. There's Jerusalem down there, bottom left. And then if you just go across the Dead Sea there and you see the Jordan River, Bethany beyond the Jordan. You want to see what it looks like today? Here you go. Here's a picture right there. That is the baptismal spot that they believe was where John was doing all of his baptizing. Where the the priests and the Levites come and meet with him right here in this spot. You can go and get baptized there today. Okay. There's the Jordan River. That's where all this is going on. Now, in verse 19, he says here, look at this, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem. Who are the Jews? Who's he referring to there? These are the religious leaders, the religious leaders of Jerusalem, the Pharisees, okay, the Sadducees. From Jerusalem, And what they do here is they send a delegation of priests and Levites. These were like the, the um, Pharisaical understudies, if you will. They're like the Pharisees' assistants, the priests and Levites. They performed the duties that the Pharisees oversaw. And so they send this little delegation out there to Bethany to find out who John is and what message he was preaching that was drawing so many Jewish people to themselves. One thing you have to understand is the Pharisees cared very much about their reputation. They loved it when they would stand in front of an audience and there would just be all these people saying, wow, you're amazing and so holy. They love that. And now all of a sudden you've got this bug-eating, camel-clothed, leather-belt, long-haired dude on the Jordan River and people are flocking to him. And they want to know why. This is a threat to them. So they send him out there. These were the keepers of the law. This guy was like violating everything they thought the law was supposed to be. And they ask him five questions in this text. They ask him five questions and the first four are all in regards to his identity. Look at the back half of 19. They came out from Jerusalem to ask him and they said this, Who are you? Who are you? In today's terms it would be like this, Hey, bug haired dude. Who do you think you are? This isn't a, hey, can you please tell me who you are? This isn't kind. This is degrading. They're coming out here with attitude. Who do you think you are? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. He says, I am not the Christ. So obviously, we don't have the question here, but obviously they said, are you the Christ? He says, no, I'm not the Christ. Now the term Christ there in the Greek means this, Savior. It's the same as the Hebrew word for Messiah, Okay, so are you the Messiah, the one that's promised from the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7? He says, his name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Feast, of his dominion, his kingdom, there will be no end. Is this, are you him? He says, I'm not the Christ. So he says, fine, let's go to verse 21. And then they asked him, okay, what then? Are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? Elijah? And he also tells him he's not. Now, why would they ask about Elijah? What's the significance about Elijah? All right. Well, Elijah was one of Israel's greatest prophets of the Old Testament. 874 BC to 853 BC was Elijah's reign here as prophet of Israel. But here's the reason they're asking. You know Elijah didn't die? You know that? He never hit the grave on earth, Ever. He went up to heaven in horses and chariots. You can read about that phenomenal, phenomenal narrative. 2 Kings chapter 2 talks about that. He never died. He went up in horses and chariots and fire. And so here's the thing. Because of the Old Testament prophecy and because of the fact that Elijah never died, the Jews, the Jewish leaders expected him to return just before the coming of the Messiah. Because Elijah would prepare them to receive the Messiah. Look at Malachi 4.5. You'll see it on the screen. One of the last um, Old Testament prophecies before the 400 years between the Old and New Testament. When God went silent. He says this. Behold, God says through Malachi. I will send you Elijah, the prophet. See, this is why they're asking. Are you Elijah? Is he sending you? I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That means before the Lord returns. See, here's the thing though. He's not talking about a literal Elijah in this moment. God sent John as one who was like Elijah. He was a type of Elijah. He had the same ministry. His whole ministry was repent, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, make ready the way of the Lord. Same as Elijah. He had the same image of Elijah. Did you know, if you look at the comparisons, I wanted a whole graph this week. I was saying to my wife, Natalie, I'm like, there's so much richness here, but I don't want to overwhelm you. But here's the reality. Like, he is described as having a leather belt and camel cloak. So here's John, leather belt and camel cloak. He had the same spirit and power. Luke 1.17 says, he'll come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He had the same personality as Elijah, this kind of gruff, bold yet humble demeanor. So they're thinking, this "Good chance he's Elijah." But John, in his humility, says, "No, no." And so he goes on. He said, "I'm not." And then they ask him the third time. He goes, "Are you the prophet?" And he answered, "No." What are they talking about there? Who's a the prophet? This comes from Deuteronomy chapter eighteen. Verses 15 to 18, where God spoke to the people of Israel in the desert about a great prophet whom God would send to raise up in the end times and function as the voice of God, as God gave him words to speak. He said he would be like Moses. Now, we can read back now and realize he's talking about Jesus Christ right there. See, Jesus is the right. You can't unhitch Jesus from the Old Testament, amen? You can't do that and stay faithful to Scripture. And so here he is, he's prophesying that he's going to raise up a great prophet, ultimately pointing to Jesus, and they're asking John, are you that guy? Is it the end times? He says, no. And after not getting anywhere, they start to get frustrated. These priests and Levites. And they realize that they couldn't go back to the Pharisees without an answer. They finally ask John who he says he is and what he believes his ministry to be. He says, okay, enough for us guessing. Who do you say you are? We go at verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, he says, I'm the voice. What does that mean? Greek word there means loud cry. John wasn't like this. Hey, prepare the way of the Lord. He's like, prepare the way of the Lord. There's authority behind this. We need to be attentive to this. He says, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Where's that coming from? Isaiah 40, verse 3. Here it is again, another Old Testament connection. The voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, the term there, make straight, that John uses here in the Greek means this prepare immediately without delay or deviation. Prepare immediately. Without delay or deviation, make a straight and level path. You know what he's talking about? Urgency. He's like, guys, don't wait. Don't wait. Jesus is coming soon. Do not wait. This is an urgent time. Time is running out. This thing is about to happen. Jesus Christ is coming soon. Now let's get some context for this verse here so we can see the connection clearly. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The Jews were exiled... Over the course of uh, about three exiles altogether, but around 600 BC from Jerusalem. Because of their sin, they were enslaved to sin. They were turning away from the Lord, and the Lord constantly sent prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah to say, Turn from your sin, repent from your sin, repent from your sin, or I will destroy and discipline you. And so, sure enough, 600 BC comes. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. He exiles them out to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar comes, sacks Jerusalem. And the Jews are exiled and they're enslaved to the Babylonians because of their sin. And Isaiah declared in this verse right here, 40 verse 3, that the exiled Jewish people were about to be released from their slavery. He says, make straight a desert highway for the Lord. You're about to be released. Get ready. Get ready. Your deliverance from slavery is coming, and you will come back to Jerusalem. Now, just so you can get your mind around this, here's a map between Jerusalem and Babylon. Okay, just follow the green section there. There's Judah in the bottom left corner there. Follow the red arrow. All the way around. This is where they were exiled to, right? Near the Persian Gulf there, to Babylon. Okay, so they've been living there for 70 years, and now Isaiah comes on a scene. He says, make straight a highway from Babylon back to Jerusalem because your king is coming to deliver you. Get ready. Get your preparations ready. Call your kids together. Get your family. Pack the house. Let's go. Don't delay. But now, John's using this. Not as a physical release. Not as a physical geographical deliverance. But a spiritual one. God was coming to deliver the Israelites out there. But now, Jesus Christ was coming to deliver us from our sin. And he says, make straight the highway. God is coming to free his people from slavery and their sin. And we must make sure we're removing the obstacles and make straight the way through repentance. I love this. You'll see this on the screen. I love how commentator Tremper Longman the third he puts this. He says this. When an ancient dignitary was about to visit a province of his realm, the message would go out to prepare the way, get this, by removing all obstacles from the road. The king is coming. Remove the obstacles. Make it level. Get the potholes graded. Make sure the road is ready. Make it as smooth as possible. The road that the Messiah would travel was the road into the hearts and lives of people. No longer a geographical return. No longer a geographical deliverance. Now a spiritual one. Only repentance could prepare the way for that journey. Only repentance, only turning away from your sin, agreeing with what God says about your sin, that it is wicked, that it is evil, and now turning away from that and turning towards him. Only repentance prepares the way for that. So if I could sum up what John says here in these verses, say this, the Messiah is coming, prepare yourselves Prepare yourselves. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to turn away from your sin and turn to the Lord as your Savior. Now. Don't delay. Make the path to your heart straight. Remove the obstacles. Here's the truth. Repentance always prepares the road for God's redemption. Write that down, that is so significant. Repentance always prepares the road for God's redemption. Then, in Isaiah, delivering from exile, and now, in the deliverance from slavery of our sin, repentance always prepares the road for redemption. Question, loved ones, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is coming soon. Are you preparing for him? Are you making straight the path to your heart? Maybe you're here. I want to talk to you you for a second. If you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you paid lip service to that and said, yeah, I'm totally saved, but then you're just walking in sin, unrepentant, unchecked sin in your life. Hey, 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 this is your first step to make the highway straight to the heart. "...repenting of our sin, confessing Him as your Lord and Savior, believing that He came to earth fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life without sin, and yet paid the penalty for your sin by dying on the cross, that you would not have to stay enslaved to it. And then after three days in a tomb, He rose again, and He's defeated the power of sin and death for all time." Loved ones, this is your first step of preparation. Make straight the highway of the heart, loved ones. This is it. I am a sinner. I need the saving grace and deliverance through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to play with my sin anymore. I'm going to see it for what God sees it as. I'm going to call it what he calls it as. And I'm not going to play around with it anymore and let it have a grip on my heart anymore. I'm going to repent of that and turn from it and turn to him because he who called me is faithful. He will deliver me from it. Too many of us are just sitting in our sin. Letting it have its way with our heart. The pornography, the sexual sin, the alcoholism, the lust, the lies, the apathy, the complacency. Let's start calling it what God calls it, loved ones. Make straight the highway. This isn't a game. This is literally life and death. And there are people sitting here today, love you so much, loved ones. But we're just tolerating sin in our lives, not calling it out what God says it is evil, wicked, separating you from Him. What choice will you make? I love you so much, church. I just love you so much. Call it what it is. Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3.15 As it is said today. Today, October 28th, 2018. Today, loved ones, if you hear his voice, Harvest Ottawa, do not harden your heart. Prepare the way of the Lord. Don't harden your heart against him again. Right now, right now, loved ones, seriously. Right now you have a choice to make. We can either choose to bow before our king right now, Or when he comes back, we won't have that choice anymore. And it will be too late. That's the reality. Today when you hear his voice, and believers, if you're here and you're like, yes, I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Hey, loved ones, reminder, the time is short. The time is short. Are you witnessing with radical urgency? Does it break your heart of the thought that someone who lived by you for the last 10 years could go to hell literally today? Are we witnessing with radical urgency in our classes, in our families? Are you preparing the way of the Lord? If not, let me just ask this. What is hindering you from doing that? What obstacles, what roadblocks of sin are in the road? Maybe it's this, the ongoing unrepentant sin of pornography in your life. It has to go. And you can't do it on your own. It's time to get before the Lord and say, God, he who is in me is greater than he who is in this world. And I'm going to be tempted with this again, but by the power of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to sit there and dabble in it anymore. Help! Maybe it's the sin of alcoholism or the sin of, workaholic, are you a workaholic? Just no time, no rest, just about you and you and you and establishing your own stuff. But this, the fear of man, the fear of failure, is that a roadblock in your heart? You know what the root of that is? Pride. I gotta look good, what if I fail? I can't can't do that, say Lord give me a fear of you not a fear of man. Fear of God eats a fear of man for breakfast every day. Every day. I say, Lord, give me a fear of you, not a fear of man. See, the truth is this. If we're honest, most of us are concerned more with our reputations than with repentance. I'll say it again. Most of us are more concerned with our reputations than repentance. Looking good, keeping the image, saying the right things, going through the motions, yet no genuine repentance in our lives. And so we package ourselves like we're all good. Or we don't witness because we don't want to offend people and we want to stay in people's good books. Hey, this struck me this morning as I was reviewing the message. Did you know there is only one book that it matters that your name is in? Did you know that? There's only one book that matters that your name is in, and it's not your neighbor. It's not their good books. It's in the book of life through Jesus Christ. Your name and theirs. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. And as we hang on to sin and we don't repent, it numbs our urgency and our, and our radical pursuit of witnessing the good news of the gospel. We're hanging on to sin. It's numbing our heart. It's hardening it to it. Don't hang on to it. Watch, watch, watch. You repent of that sin and watch what happens. We're not called to save loved ones. We can't save anyone, but we are called to witness. And make ready for the Lord of people prepared. John's witness was one of radical urgency. Prepare the way of the Lord. But his heart, notice this, notice this. His heart behind his witness was one of radical humility. Radical humility. Only Christ is worthy of honor. Last point for the day. Put it on the screen, guys. Key question is this. A humble witness is a faithful witness. Am I walking in humility? Am I walking in humility? In humility, Look at John 1, 25-27. And they asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. You see, after interrogating John on his identity, the priests and the Levites, they now interrogate him on his authority. Okay, no longer from identity, now they're going for the authority, specifically, by whose authority are you baptizing? Whose authority are you baptizing? Okay, just so we're all on the same page here, what the Bible's referring to here is baptism, Greek word, baptizo, what it means to dip, submerge, immerse, you see that all throughout the New Testament. Okay, from Jesus' great commission to now again here with John the Baptist in preparing for that, to dip, submerge, or immerse in water, the public step that John was calling people to take. As they came and they heard the message of repentance, this was the public step he's calling them to take, which was the outward sign of cleansing that reflected the inward repentance of or turning from sin. So baptism that John was calling them to, he'd have them in the Jordan River. He would submerge them and bring them up as a symbol of the cleansing that was going on internally in their preparation for the Messiah to come and salvation in Christ. Now, to clear up anything, this is not the same baptism as you see today. Okay, What we see now is believer's baptism. What John is doing here is called a baptism of Repentance. We'll get to that later as we go through it. Baptism of repentance. This is the preparation for Christ. Okay, Baptism of repentance is for preparation. Saying, I need to get my heart right because the Messiah is coming. And I want my repentance to be shown publicly as a cleansing of what's going to happen when I meet him. My heart is preparing for this. What we see today, though, is believer's baptism. It's not preparation for Christ. It's identification with Christ. identifying with Christ after we have received salvation. Now we see a public step of faith in declaring, I am a child of God. These guys were declaring, I want to be prepared to meet the Savior. Now here's why they're interrogating him on his authority. Because only religious leaders given a public office by God could administer the rite of baptism. So they're like, hey, you're baptizing only religious leaders are supposed to be baptized. Who gave you authority to do that? Now, notice what they say. Who are you if you're not baptizing, if you're neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Here's what they're saying here. Basically, they get to the point by saying, who do you think you are, John? Taking a religious leadership role? Who do you think you are? Man, does the, does the devil ever pound us with that, doesn't he? Who do you think you are? To try to think you could beat sin? Really, really? Don't don't worry the fact that Jesus has already beat it for you. Who do you think you are to overcome that? Nah. Who do you think you are as a child? That, That phrase, who do you think you are? The Satan pounds us with that. Same voice. Now live in the text for a moment. Here's John in front of a whole bunch of people baptizing in the Jordan River. Put yourself in John's shoes if you're him. These condescending religious leaders are probing you. They're probing you, and they're opposing you, and they're trying to discredit you in front of everybody. Would you be tempted, if you were John the Baptist, knowing what you know about John the Baptist, would you be tempted to say this in our flesh? Who am I? Who am I? We're going to go into defensive mode right now. Here we go. Flesh rears its head. Who am I? Uh, okay, just, hey guys, let me stop from this whole baptism thing. Let me tell you who I am for a minute. Okay? Uh, I'm appointed a prophet by God himself and sent as his forerunner. Are you? Are are you? Have you been appointed by God and sent as his forerunner? Nah, don't think so. Don't think so. How about this? Still not convinced? Oh, Oh, yeah, my mother was barren. My mother was barren priests, Levites. And God miraculously opened her womb after visiting my parents via the angel Gabriel. Did your parents get a visit? Doesn't our flesh want to do this? We just want to defend, just kind of stoke our own fire a little bit. Your parents get a visit? My parents got a visit. How about this? My dad was a prominent priest who entered the Holy of Holies. Zechariah. Hey, yo, uh, priest, you have been in the Holy of Holies? No. Why? Because only one priest gets to enter once a year. He's like, really, you've been the Holy Ghost? Nah. Hmm. Who are you? How about this one? Oh, yeah, I was, uh, I was filled by the Holy Spirit uh, in the womb and empowered for ministry. How about you? You empowered for ministry from the womb? No. Didn't think so. Look at what John, John's, John could have pulled so much rank on these guys. And look what he does. Oh, yeah. To top it all off, Oh yeah, hey guys, priest, Levi, just, just check this out. Uh, my cousin? Yeah, he's the Lord Almighty himself. He's the one giving you breath to um, criticize me right now. He's like holding the whole stars and planets thing in place. Yeah, that's my, that's my cousin. Sorry, who are you? Sorry, I didn't catch your name. See what he could have done? He could have pulled so much rank on them. Oh yeah, and by the way, the Lord Almighty? Yeah, I baptized him. How about you? Who'd you say you were again? Don't we see this mentality saturating our culture today, loved ones? This flesh mentality. Make a name for yourself. Show off your credentials. Like, like Look at social media. Like, social media has its place. But honestly... Look, how much of the stuff posted on social media is just for our own glory? Building our own little castles of glory. Look at me, look at this, look at this, look at my family, look at my accomplishments, all this stuff. If there was anyone who could have claimed a castle of glory, it was John the Baptist. So much so that Jesus goes on to say, Matthew eleven eleven later on, he says, "...among the men born of women there was none greater than John." The greatest man who ever lived in the Savior's eyes. If there's anyone who could pull rank, it was John. Right? We don't want humility in our culture today. We want glory. We want glory. Not humility. But yet we see the greatest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus himself, stooping. Stooping. Now look at John's response to them. I love this. He doesn't pull rank. Look what he does. 20. 6 and 27, John answered them, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Look at that humility right there. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy. See, John doesn't respond in pride by defending himself. He doesn't respond in pride by defending himself about how great he is. Or how qualified he is. He responds in radical humility by pointing them to how great Jesus Christ is. See that? That's what humility does. Less is more. He points them to Jesus Christ. He doesn't try to pull rank, but he quickly files into rank behind his Savior. He doesn't pull rank. He files into rank behind his Savior he says, I'm just the voice. He doesn't even say he's a ma- he's just. I'm just the voice. I'm just a voice. I'm the instrument. I'm the servant of the Lord. Baptizing. I'm baptizing with water. I'm just an instrument. Even though in your pride, he says to the priests, you don't recognize Jesus who is standing among you. He's coming after me and I'm not even worthy to untie one strap of his sandal. You say, what do you mean by sandals? You see it on the screen. Here's some picture of sandals in that day. And so you see their straps. Now, one thing you have to understand is untying the strap of a sandal was one of the lowest, most degrading tasks a slave could have done for their master. The only task which was lower, considered lower in the eyes of the people, was washing feet. And John lowers himself and says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal of my Savior. That's awesome. See this on the screen. The faithful witness always points people to Christ and not themselves. The faithful witness always points people to Christ and not themselves, not their accomplishments, not their resume. The more humble the witness is, the more faithful a witness is. This is why one of the greatest prayers we could pray is this. John prays it in chapter 330. He says this, he must increase, Jesus Christ, he must increase, I must decrease. That's such a good prayer. He must increase, I must decrease. Hey, loved ones, let's start praying that. How about this, in your marriage, Jesus Christ must increase in my marriage, I must decrease, or this marriage has no hope. He must increase, I must decrease in my classroom. Lord, give me a fear of you, not a fear of man. He must increase, I must decrease as I parent my children and stop expecting them to always get on my schedule. But shepherd them in patience and kindness and love and not impatience and anger. He must increase, I must decrease on my social media. He must increase, I must decrease in the workplace. I'm not going to try posturing myself anymore, saying how good I am or how qualified I am. And you say, well, why is this so important? Because in the kingdom of God, less is always more. Less is always more. The way up in the kingdom is the way down. And the truth is this. Christ is always seen and heard clear when we get out of the way. Christ is always seen clearer and heard clearer when we get out of the way. Less is more when he is the object of our witness and our reputation is not. How will will this person look at me if I share the gospel? How will it when we get out of the way and a fear of the Lord grips your heart, he is made great, we are made small. When he gets the credit and we don't. Hey, question, just a quick question. I was rocked with this this week. Are you satisfied with Jesus getting the credit for what he's given you to do? Am I? If no one notices but him, are you satisfied that he's getting the glory for that and not you? How about this, loved ones? When he increases and we gladly decrease, not, okay, God will do that, but gladly you must increase, I must decrease. When we long for his glory and not our own. Loved ones, Here's the truth. Love you so much, church. Here's, here's the truth. The world doesn't need more of you or me. It needs more of him. Desperately. It doesn't need more Pastor Ray. It doesn't need more of you. It needs more of him. Through you. Are you walking in humility? Last question for the day. Saying, God before me you before me. Two things I want you to ask yourself as we leave here. Two questions. Ready? Where do you need to repent of your pride? Let's just get real. Where do you need to repent of your pride? Whether it's fear of man, whether it's that's hindering your witness, whether it's exalting yourself in the eyes of others, pursuing your own agenda, your way, your time, the what you want. Where do you need to repent of your pride? Or for some of us here in this room, saying... Repenting of our pride, saying, I don't need a savior. I'm good with being God over my life. I don't need a savior. It's time to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's time to repent. Prepare the way of the Lord. Secondly, I'm going to ask this. So where do you need to repent? Let's just do business with the Lord right now. Right now, right where you sit. Secondly is this. Who has God put around you that needs more of him and less of you? Who has God put around you that needs more of him and less of you? Maybe this, your spouse. How many men? Hey, we got to own this, guys. We're called to be the spiritual leader of our homes. If we need to repent of something, let's get that on the agenda ASAP before our wife. Where, who else needs more of the Lord and less of you? Maybe your children. Your classmates, your neighbors, your brothers and sisters in Christ? What about your coworkers? See, God has called you to be his humble witness to them with radical urgency and radical humility. And the question is this, will you go? Will you go? Some may say this, it's too hard, I can't do it, I'm scared. I can't humble myself that way. Here, here's the truth, here's the truth right here. Ready for some gospel truth to saturate your heart? Here it is. If you are in Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power and love and self-control. And love compels us to go in radical urgency, in radical humility, to share the greatest news of all time for those who are lost and unprepared. The one who humbled himself to wash feet, he will equip you, he will sustain you, he will empower you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. And he will always work for his glory. Will you go? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that we would be a church who is ready for you. Every heart longing for our king, longing for more of you and less of us in our marriages, in our families, in this church, in our agendas, in our way of wanting to do things. In our neighborhoods, God, more of you, less of us. You must increase, we must decrease. Father, I ask for that. And I pray that you would instill in our hearts as a church and individually, as brothers and sisters in the Lord and as families in Jesus Christ, a sense of radical urgency and radical humility to the mission that is before us. The times are short. We just look around. Even the events of this weekend, we just look around and see the times are short. The evil seems to be increasing and the days are coming to an end. And I ask right now, we would live with that mindset that we will see you soon and we've been given a mission to declare you. May it be so, Lord. May us be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.